Streaming Water Podcast, where we talk about all things Colorado water and wastewater. I'm your host, Blair Corning. This is our fifth episode, and uh, listenership has been steadily increasing, so I want to thank all our listeners for, for tuning in. The podcast is co-sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council. And today we have a, a very special guest on the show, Tom Kunetz. Tom is a past president of WEF and a longtime industry professional in the in the wastewater industry. Welcome, Tom, and, and thanks for being here. Hey, Blair. Thanks for having me. Tom, can you give us a little bit about your background? I mentioned you, you've been in the industry a while. You were, you were uh, a WEF president. Can you talk a little bit about your history and background for us? Sure. So I, I'm currently serving as the immediate past president of the Water Environment Federation, and I'm, so I'm on the board of trustees. I've been on the board for uh, seven years, serving as a trustee and as officer. Uh, I was president of WEF last year, as, as you know, and uh, uh, employed until very recently, employed for 29 years at the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. I just uh, retired very recently, and I was serving there as assistant director of monitoring and research. And so, yeah, I've been in the water sector for uh, uh, close to 40 years, uh, serving both in the public sector for many years and also did some work prior to that in the private sector and, and consulting. Uh, everything really that I did is focused on uh, wastewater, wastewater treatment, design and research. Nice. That's, uh, it seems like an exciting time to be in research and, and that field right now with everything that's happening in technology-wise and, and the innovation-wise. Yeah, absolutely. Technology is going crazy now. And one of the big things is, is harnessing information technology. The, uh, this is what we call the, uh, the information of things. And we have smart water. And, and I think that just the possibility is just suddenly expanding rapidly with that data harnessing, harnessing big data. And what can we do with that in, in wastewater systems? We're always seeing, already seeing it applied in, in water distribution systems and somewhat into uh, 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 stormwater and uh, uh, collection systems, but now we need to get it into the treatment plants themselves. Yeah, let me do the interesting question. Um, <laughs> Tom, what was the uh, children's book or story that you still remember today? <laughs> uh, Blair, do you remember a book called Mike Mulligan and His Steam Shovel? I don't uh, think so. So this, I, the book was from like the 1930s. Uh, but anyway, so I remember this. It was a man, Mike Mulligan, and he had the steam shovel that he named Mary Ann. And uh, as how modern uh, machinery was coming and making her obsolete, making the steam shovel obsolete. So Mike uh, Mulligan took the steam shovel out into the country and found a little town that needed to build a town hall. And he tried to convince them that the steam shovel could do it in one day. So uh, they said, go ahead. And they dug and they dug from sunup until dark. And they dug the, the foundation for the uh, um, town hall, but unfortunately didn't build a ramp for themselves to get out. So the, the steam shovel was stuck there. And um, oh. what they ended up doing was they turned the steam shovel into the boiler for the town hall. And Mike Mulligan became the, the janitor and the, uh, uh, the boiler operator. And they lived happily ever after. And, nice. You know, when you think about it as a kid, it's like, okay, but looking back as an adult, that, that story had everything. There is a, uh, uh, dealing with change because we have to deal with change in our lives and uh, uh, being persistent and trying to, to find your way out. And then the creativity to find that creative solution. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't heard that. So uh, I'm going to write that down and take a look at that. that might well, be you, could, right. you could read it in about three minutes. 
Yeah, it <laughs> seems like my reading level. How do we do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I know you also have a background uh, which which interests me in uh, improv comedy and kind of the arts, which is which is rare. You don't find uh, you know we got a lot of scientists, engineers, and I know you're an engineer yourself. So can you talk a little bit about your your history and and kind of that that art side and and where that came from? Sure. So. Uh... Yeah, actually, I've always had this uh, strong interest in, in the arts and particularly performing arts, theater and so on. And, and at one point when I was looking uh, to go to college, I'm in high school and I'm, I'm looking at colleges. I was looking at colleges both for theater and engineering, which were you know, two very different kind of uh, uh, things to look at. Yeah. I, of course, I decided on engineering because I, I didn't want to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches the rest of my life <laughs> and, 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 you know, be 45 years old and living with two roommates. So uh, <laughs> I went into engineering, but always had this love for the theater. Just, I think, since I was a child, my mother loved musicals and introduced me to musical theater and uh, always loved that. But when I uh, moved to Chicago, I had the opportunity to uh, go to a school here. It's called the Second City Training Center. And this is where you learn the art form of improvisation. And I immediately got hooked on that, uh, joined the improv troupe. Zindram uh, Prop troupe called Sheila. We became very popular here in Chicago. Had a regular running show. Actually, at one time we had three shows up per week, which is a pretty big deal for uh, for an independent troupe like that. And, yeah. uh, we were very popular. So from from the performing, I also started branching out into doing things like writing. Uh, had a number of plays uh, that I wrote that were produced. I had uh, started doing directing. And then teaching, and then I got into becoming a teacher at the the very school where I learned improvisation at the Second City Training Center. And, and I don't know if you or the listeners have, have heard of this place, the Second City. Uh, this is a, a comedy theater and and school here in Chicago that has spawned uh, many many famous comedians at the, the training ground for them from from your uh, original not ready for primetime players. Uh, uh, John uh, Belushi and Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner to, you know, more modern people like uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, um, uh, Tim Meadows, you know, the list goes on and on yeah. about these, uh, you know, the comedians that have come through there. So uh, for 20 years, I've been teaching improvisational comedy and sketch comedy writing there at the, the training center. I, I don't know how many thousands of students I've had over the years. Uh, but that's just been a, a, a very exciting uh, part of my life uh, to do. That's something very different from the engineering work. Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like you're totally balanced. You're totally, you know, in harmony there. You got the science, math, and then you got the arts and, uh, you know, improv side. So I think you're the most well-rounded individual I've ever met, probably. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's like they talk left brain, right brain, and and, and and what happens in my brain is that the two sides are always fighting for uh, dominance. And yeah. so I have to feed both sides. I, uh, you know, I love the theater side, uh, but I also, it's hard for me to hang around people who can't balance a checkbook. So then I, you know, go to the <laughs> engineering side and, uh, you know, they're always fighting for dominance. So yeah. you're right. It helps keep me balanced. Do you ever, uh, do you ever take any of that side or that artistic side, the improv side and, and, uh, incorporate that into your your technical side, and if so, how do you how do you do that? Bring that to the workplace. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Blair. And that's one of the things when I teach improvisation, I'm always thinking about teaching life skills. 
even if the students don't realize it, because most of them, let's face it, are never going to end up in front of the camera or on stage. It's a very competitive business. Not saying they're not talented, but it's very competitive. So I'm at least teaching them life skills that they can take with them the rest of their life. And these skills are things like communication. And I don't mean just being able to stand in front of a group of people who talk. I'm talking about just like you and I having a conversation. And one of the most important skills in improvisation is listening. I mean, truly listening to what the other person is saying. Not a lot of people say, oh, I'm listening because their mouth is shut. But that's not listening. Yeah. Listening is, is what is not is preparing on what you want to say the moment that there's a break. That's not listening. Okay, that's, that's, that's me and my ego getting out there. So that's one of the things bringing to the workplace is this concept of truly listening to what that person is saying and then getting into this, this concept of supporting your partner because that's, that's imperative in improvisation. It's all about supporting partner. It's all about ensemble, not about me. This is not the same as stand-up comedy where there's an individual standing up there and he or she is, is telling jokes. Improvisation is, is an ensemble mindset. That means that we have to look out for our partners. It's the same thing in the workplace. These are my work partners. Whether they are in the same um, department as me or not, whether in the same hierarchy as me or not, they, we're all partners. What can I do to support you so you could do your job better? And I don't care if I'm talking about somebody that works in the mailroom or somebody's at the top of the, uh, the C-suites. How can I help you do your job better? That's part of the partnership uh, uh, concept. And then finally, that's, and I shouldn't say finally, but just one last one to talk about is the creativity aspect of it. Thinking differently, you know, particularly being an engineer, we're problem solvers. And we're often faced with the problems we never encountered before. I, too many times I hear engineers say, oh, you do that, that improv stuff, that art, I'm not creative. And I say, my goodness, man, you're an engineer. What can be more creative than that? You take science and knowledge and apply it to to unknown situations you've never encountered before and solve problems. That is creativity. You are creative. And so I try to bring this, this, this mindset to the, to the workplace, not only with what I do, but also in, in you know, leading by example, watch what, have others see what I'm doing. This concept of yes anding, which is a big improv term you've probably heard. It's not mm -hmm. no but or yes but, it's yes and, yes and, what else? What can I do to build on top of you? You know, so that's just some of the ways I try to incorporate what I have learned into the workplace. Yeah, I, I think that I really see that tie in with teamwork. I think a lot of times in in this business, especially when you're first entering, there's, you know, it's competition based or people think it's it's competition rather than we all succeed or, or we all don't. But getting from competition to to a team based approach is is. I think sometimes a, a challenge, but, but that's what makes great organizations when you, when you, you know, overcome that challenge. Yeah. And, and you bring up that whole competition thing when it's a self, you know, thing that I'm in competition with others, then it's, it's, it's actually brings everybody down. But if we could, as you said, say, I am here to make you win and you win and you win and you win. And to know that the other people are saying that about me, then everybody rises up and then the competition becomes let's compete to see that we're going to set a bar how much better can we do than this bar we have the, the the competition is let's solve this problem let's do it better let's do it faster that becomes the competition so competition is healthy when it's applied properly yeah 
All right. Well, speaking, I know you were talking of, of famous, famous actors and, and uh, TV personalities earlier, but I, I know you're also a uh, TV person or at least a movie star now from this, <laughs> this film. Uh, I saw you in the other day, the RMWA had a, a screening of uh, Brave Blue World in conjunction with the College of Engineering at, at CU Boulder. So I know you're featured in that. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and, and what the film was was for in general? Sure, Blair. So Brave Blue World is, is the name of the film. And uh, as I, I like to uh, jokingly tell people, uh, I'm, I'm in a movie with Matt Damon and Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a trailer? Did you have a trailer and a, <laughs> yeah. a rider with only no green M&Ms and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah, I wish. We obviously, you know, we were all filmed separately, so I never did get to meet Matt Damon. Or I should say, poor Matt Damon never got to meet me. Right, right. <laughs> um, so it's a really good film. Liam Neeson is the uh, narrator, and uh, Matt Damon does appear in the film. Uh, so what this film was, was um, Paul Callahan, who's the, uh, uh, the executive director of a, uh, a company called Blue Tech Research, um, wanted to do something that was really going to showcase the great things that are happening in the water sector and in, in, in the world in terms of problem solving. We have so much doom and gloom and crisis and, and we're just surrounded by bad news that to the point where human beings uh, start to tune it out because it's just so much bad news. Yeah. So but, you know, Paul said, I want to tell the positive story because there's a lot of people out there in this sector that are working very hard to solve problems. They need to be at the forefront, not the people who are out there who are always, you know, saying the sky is falling. So, so Paul came to WEF because he's looking for some sponsorship and, and WEF, the, the board jumped right on this and says, we want to be a major sponsor. And Paul got a few other industry sponsors. And we said, yes, because we want to tell this story of what our members, what our water professionals are doing. And not only in this country, but across the world. So you will see in this film, it showcases what folks are doing in Africa and Spain. Um, you know, some, I'm glad that Chicago was one of the two cities that was featured from the United States in this. Um, and it's talking about the innovation that's happening. Things like taking, uh, uh, creating water just out of the atmosphere for, for people in, in, in dry parts of Kenya. Yeah. have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of water to drink. Um, and then the part that I talked about in Chicago, and I was just very blessed that uh, they wanted to talk about the resource recovery work that we're doing in Chicago, talking about how we do the, the harvesting of phosphorus and nitrogen, removing it from the wastewater and the biosolids, turning it into a fertilizer, a slow release fertilizer that then we actually sell it as a uh, commodity where it's blended with the other commercial fertilizers and it's returned to the, to the earth. So it's yeah. that, that whole circular economy thing. And uh, I talked about some research work that we are doing there using algae to be the uh, mechanism, which removes the phosphorus and nitrogen from the wastewater because algae is a very sustainable uh, technology. It's a living technology. It uses sunlight. We don't need to add any energy to that. Once you harvest the algae, it could be turned into, a number of different products uh, 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 use it in, as a substitute for, for example, in bioplastics as a substitute for, for oil. Um, it could be used as a feed, aquaculture feed, and so on and so on. So we talked about that, the, the resource recovery effort. So to be part of that, it was just very exciting uh, to, to get recognized for the work that we're doing in this country and in Chicago in particular. 
And then uh, I think you were, were asking about, you know, what that was like to be part of the film. Uh, I didn't have a trailer or anything, but to be, uh, we filmed for two days, two solid days with the film crew. Oh. And uh, you get to really appreciate somebody put together a film and does just take after take after take. And what ends up in the film is just five seconds. You know, yeah, yeah. A few minutes of two days of filming. But I was lucky to get then to invited we uh, before this whole pandemic broke in, in December last year had a world premiere at the oh, really? Paramount Studio Theaters out in Hollywood. So wow. black tie affair, you know, black ties, tuxedos, gowns. Um, we got to be there. The film director and producers were there. Uh, we had the, the, instead of a red carpet, had a blue carpet. Oh, nice. For water. nice. <laughs> and uh, got in there, you know, the photos and paparazzi uh, interviews, and then went in to the Paramount Theater itself to watch the, the movie. Uh, and uh, it was just, it was very exciting to have been a uh, part of that whole thing. Yeah, it was a good film. I liked, I liked how it uh, didn't focus solely on the U.S. And, and you know, because sometimes in this business we get, get a localized view or, you know, yeah. we know what we're doing here, but to see what other countries are doing and, and the different technology, I thought it was a, it was a good flick. I thought it was pretty good. I wish Matt Damon would have would have gotten a car chase or something through Belgium, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but it was good. Tom, can you, I know you teach a number of courses and I know when you came for uh, our regional conference for the water, uh, Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association, you did a workshop for the young professionals, which I always, I always thought that was great. A lot of the, you know, the presidents usually come give a speech, but this president came and gave a class and talk, you know, engaged and, and, and brought a little something extra to the to the party. So I thought that was great. Can you talk about some of the classes and, and workshops you teach and some of the topics that, uh, that you, you teach young people in this industry? Sure, Blair. So, um, so one of them we talked about is about improvisation techniques and tools in the workplace. And so I have taught uh, workshops. In fact, at WefTech for several years, I ran a, a workshop on, on Sunday on improvisation for the workplace. And this is all focusing on the skills of communication, collaboration and creativity and, and taking these improv techniques. So it's obviously it's a very hands-on class. I mean, we are yeah. up on our feet and we are engaging in these exercises and then how to apply that skill, what that means to actually apply it in the workplace. Uh, I've done uh, workshops on complex problem solving and, and actually talking through, through using examples in history and stories from history and how there's different techniques to go and solve complex problems and how uh, you know examples of others have done it or, or failed to do it because they failed to recognize some of these things uh, and then again that is also everything that I teach is always interactive the audience actually participates because yeah. uh, I, I believe in in learning through doing uh, I teach workshops on how to create an innovation culture within your within your utility or your firm work partnering and I'm not talking just about individual partnering, but partnering with the capital P, big scale. When we're talking about two groups, two entities getting together, it could be even public-private partnerships. Yeah. What does it take to, to partner? Uh, emotional intelligence, some of the softer skills. Um, public speaking and presentations, that's another one, one that I'm often asked to do uh, a lot because so many people are afraid of public speaking, and that's understandable. It's not something that we, we, we normally are taught uh, or get too much of this education in school. So 
and yet we have to do a lot of this as as engineers and scientists. So I do workshops on uh, public speaking and presentations. In fact, just did one yesterday for the Wastewater Leadership Institute for WEF. I agree with you. I think especially in this field, it's science heavy and and math and mechanics and, and you know you don't get a lot of uh, you don't get a lot of training in in talking to the public or how to communicate your message. So I think that. I love that you're teaching that because that's a, one of the skills I see that I wish people had more of coming into this industry or, or, or develop more as they were in it. Well, you know, Blair, to your point there, and I think this is very important, that, that we as engineers and scientists, we have to be able to communicate what's happening here because that's what provides legitimacy to the public. When the public wants to, to have somebody to trust, you know, we shouldn't be going out and hiring a PR firm to get the message out for us. It should be coming from the very people who are doing the work, which means that it is incumbent upon us to be able to be good speakers and communicators to develop that public trust. Yeah, I agree. All right, talking of uh, communications and presentations, do you have any tips for uh, for people in this industry on doing that? Yeah, we don't have time for a whole class, but what what tips would you give someone on, on presenting better or, or more effective presentations or communications? Well, uh, the first tip is uh, take one of my workshops. <laughs> you, you want me to give away my work for free here, Blair? <laughs> uh, no. So uh, here's one, and that is to know your audience. And, you know, we hear that all the time. And I don't think folks really, really truly know what that means to know your audience. They'll say, oh, know your audience. Okay. Are they third graders? Or is it a, a, is it Friends of the Library group? Is it a, a elected official board? But that's not really, I mean, that's just the very start. You really have to get to know your audience. And one of the most important things is, what does the audience want from you? We go in as a speaker. I go in thinking, well, this is what I want the audience to know. This is what I want the audience to take away from this. I'm going to give them this, and they better learn this. But the very first thing you should do is actually think, what does the audience want from you as the speaker? Because they may sit there and smile, you know, and you think that they're listening, but they tuned you out if you're not giving them what they want. Yeah. So, you know, if you're talking to a, a group of third graders, they want to be entertained. And if you're talking to, you know, the friends of the library, they want to be enlightened. They want to be able to walk around and, and show how smart they are by reciting something that you gave them. And the same with a, a group of elected officials. What do they want? They want to be able to make good decisions and, and that are defensible and that, that you know, in the public eye that they've done the right thing. They want something from you. So when I say know your audience, it's to know what's the audience want from you as a speaker. You better deliver that. Yeah. And then I guess the second tip that I'll give you is practice, practice, practice. You just got to keep on giving your presentation over and over again in practice and not rely on those little index cue cards or heaven forbid, do not rely on your PowerPoint. The PowerPoint should not drive the presentation. You drive PowerPoint. You should know your presentation so well that if the power were to go out and your PowerPoint shuts down and the lights go down and people can't even see you, you can still deliver your message. Yeah. Thanks for those tips. I always tell employees if you're giving the same presentation to an industry group that you are to the the local Kiwanis club and you haven't changed it, you're doing it wrong. You know, it's, this is part of that, that whole audience thing. So I think I've seen uh, the importance of that throughout my career. When I first uh, talked to you about doing this show, you'd mentioned three things 
as ideas to talk about that you thought were, were important. Can you give us those three things that you, you wanted to talk about the importance of, of having in our lives and in our careers? Sure. So the three things, and then I'll expand on each of them, three things that I want to talk about today are humor, curiosity, and gratitude. Uh, so humor, curiosity, gratitude. Humor uh, is, of course, being able to laugh, having a sense of humor. And it's, it's, it's not just about, oh, you know, I, I can't tell jokes, so I have no sense of humor. That's not at all what I mean. I, I mean about the ability to laugh and the ability to find things to laugh at, including yourself, starting with yourself. You have to be able to laugh at yourself and not take yourself so seriously. Humor and laughing at ourselves make us humble. And being humble is a better way to go through life because you're going to be much more receptive to things that are going on around you and others are more receptive to you. And there's just yeah. times in our life where we were, you know, things get so down and so serious and we feel like crying. And I, I once heard this statement, this statement that, um, that crying and laughing are the same thing. It's just that laughing feels so much better. <laughs> um, and I remember this, um, this area, to tell you a quick incident uh, I had when I was a young engineer, I worked in a, in a company that actually was housed in an old farmhouse from the 1700s. So it was a stone structure, very small stone structure with a dirt basement. And being in a very small company, I did a lot of work around the place, changing light bulbs and whatever. At one point, I had to go fix something in the basement with the water. And it had a lead supply line. And if you have ever worked with lead pipe, it's very soft. Yeah. If you, if you work it too much, it actually will break. And that's, I don't mean snap. I mean, it just slowly starts to crack. And that's what happened. And I got a slow leak, a drip, which started into a spray, which started to get bigger and bigger. At one point, I started to panic. And there was no way to shut it off. It was before the water valve. I took off my shirt. And I wrapped it around the pipe thinking somehow, you know, a tourniquet would, would make this stop. <laughs> Well, this water is spraying, and, and, and I'm yelling. I'm calling for the secretary to call the water department to shut the water off. And she comes walking down the basement, and she stops at the top of the stairs and looks at me. And there I'm standing with no shirt on, soaking wet. I'm in mud. And she says, you know, this is one of those times in life where you just have to stop and take a breath and just laugh at yourself. <laughs> and, I, and I stopped, and I took a breath. And I said, listen, crazy woman, that this house caves in, we're all dead. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the moment, but I think looking back on it now, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know, with, with humor, it's important that, that we don't take ourselves so seriously. And, and people oftentimes are serious because they think that it will, it will make them more respected. And maybe this is so, you know, they have my respect. But if someone makes me laugh, they have my heart. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's humor. I want to talk a little bit about curiosity. curiosity. Curiosity is about seeking new information, seeking new knowledge. Not just absorbing it, but, but actively going out and wanting to learn something new. Asking questions. Curiosity helps, helps us make better decisions because we, we have more information. And, and it causes us to be, before we even make a decision, to start questioning and saying, wait a minute, do I have the right information? Curiosity gets onto that path of asking questions. And, and curiosity just makes life ex just that's more exciting. So curiosity in the workplace is something that a good supervisor will encourage her staff to have curiosity. Oftentimes as we, we rise in level, 
in, in, in an organization, we're afraid to ask questions because it's going to make us look like we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. In fact, it's been shown by, by studies that, that employees actually look favorably upon supervisors who ask questions and don't know everything or not afraid to ask. And so you should encourage curiosity. Sometimes people are afraid to be curious in the workplace because you say it's going to make us look like we are, we are questioning authority. I'm asking why and why not. We're questioning authority. So it's all about the attitude, though. I'm not saying, you know, question authority and demands that uh, always, always be the one that's always the, the uh, fly in the ointment. But to do so in a way that I'm just curious, why are we doing it this way? Or why can't we do it another way? I want to learn. I want to know more. And supervisors should encourage that. In fact, we always talk about performance goals. You know, how many papers did you get done in a week? How many, uh, how many projects did you get done? How many whatever? How many shop drawings were reviewed in a day? Those are performance goals. Schedule, budget. These are performance goals. Then there's things called learning goals. And very few times do supervisors ever even encourage learning goals. The learning yeah. goals is all about encouraging the curiosity. And you're going to be a much better employee when you focus on learning goals. Not that performance goals are wrong, but learning goals and performance goals. So, you know, I think that's why curiosity is, is, is such a thing that, that, that we need to uh, encourage in the people and not discourage. Um, and to be curious, I think I'd encourage people to read. You know, we have this powerful thing in our hand, that, that little cell phone. And I know we say get offline and offline, which is true. But I use it a lot to look up stuff. And I'm saying, hey, I'm curious. What is that leaf? What is that tree? And I'll look it up. Oh, that's the name of the tree. And so yeah. I use it as a tool to help me to find that knowledge. And, and talk to strangers. My goodness, there's so much information out there. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story on curiosity. I was in um, Denmark with a friend of mine there. And he said, oh, what do you want to do today? And we're looking for something to do. And there was this, I said, let's go to this Viking village. It's one of these little tourist things where they dress up and they have the little houses built like Vikings and they dress like Vikings. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these in our country for the pilgrims and so on. And he says, well, I don't know. That's kind of touristy. And I said, ah, let's go. So we walk around and we walk into this little hut and this man's making some stuff out of metal. And he's dressed like a Viking in that. And uh, I said, I never knew that Vikings work with metal. I thought that Vikings, you know, ate with their hands and, and pillaged and, and burned. And he says, oh, my gosh. He says they were fantastic metal workers. They were excellent carpenters. They were uh, they rose, raised livestock. They were into medicine. They, they were into navigation, sailing. They had a very complex political system, a complex language, a social structure, and on and on. And I just kept asking him questions, and I learned so much about this complex society that I thought, you know, we're a bunch of barbarians. And I, and I talked to this fellow for almost an hour because nobody else was there. And he was happy to share this information. Yeah. Well, we walked out of this hut and my friend who's from Denmark said, I've lived here all my life and I never knew any of those things about the Vikings. <laughs> and he said, it's only because you kept asking him questions. And I never would have thought to ask those questions. Yeah. Ask questions, ask questions, curious. And then let me just finish up with my, my, my last point here, which is about gratitude. And gratitude is, is you know, being thankful. Being thankful for what we have in our life. Um, I remember the, hearing the Dalai Lama who said that every day he says, I am fortunate to be alive and, and I'm not going to waste today. Um, with gratitude, you get to be grateful for the things that you have and focus on what you have rather than being concerned about what you don't have. 
And if you, if you focus on what you don't have, that leads to this feeling of scarcity. And when you have this feeling of scarcity, you, you, you automatically, your body triggers into this, this concern, this stress, and it gets into a point of fear. And that, that fear ultimately leads to jealousy because somebody else has something that I don't have. And jealousy leads to resentment and contempt and eventually to violence. And we see this today and before our very eyes, this pandemic is showing us this right now. We're seeing this, this lack of gratitude. Yeah. You know, the pandemic has, it, it has been incredible and it's brought out the best in many people. And we see this, the evidence of people who are acting in uh, you know, random acts of kindness, as they say. And acting in ways, these people have gratitude. They're grateful to be alive and they want to share things. They're grateful that for what they do have. But then we also see that this pandemic has brought out the worst in some people. And we see in that the way that they, that they behave and that they, because they lack the gratitude, they have fear and jealousy. And it's a lot of blame and finger pointing and, and this sense of contempt for others. And this just tremendous anger. You see it in this anger in so many people. If this pandemic has taught us anything, I say that it's it's how many people in this country are so grossly undereducated. And by being so, not seeing what it is that we do have and not having that gratitude for what we have. So I hope that that's maybe a, a long-winded way of answering your, your question there, Blair. But those are three things I like to focus on. Humor, yeah. curiosity, and gratitude. Good, thanks. That was uh, that was interesting. I appreciate that. All right, I think uh, we are about out of time. So, are you ready to take the uh, end of show quiz, Tom? I have my thinking cap on, Blair. Let's do it. All right, this is a uh, a custom quiz designed just for you and your your unique uh, unique history here. So, <laughs> well, then I better do well. <laughs> All right, so I know you're president and you're currently past president of the Water Environment Federation. Uh, so this is a federation question. Which of these is not in the Star Trek United Federation of Planets? Is it A, Vulcans, B, Andorians, C, Flagellates, or D, Humans? <laughs> well, I, um... That's a really well-crafted question, Blair. Oh, I'm thanks. going to go with I'm going to go with I think it was C flagellates because it sounds like something you see under the microscope. That it. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> All right, you're one for one. Process of elimination. That was not <laughs> knowledge. That was process of elimination. Ah, don't be so modest. <laughs> All right, number two is uh, oh a Matt Damon question. I know you first heard of Matt Damon. Uh, so along with Matt Damon. Oh, along with you, Matt Damon is featured in Blade, Brave Blue World. Uh, what is Matt Damon's famous line from his film Goodwill Hunting? Is it A, I treat her wastewater, isn't that bananas? Is it B, I stole her car, now that's nuts? Is it C, I got her number, how do you like them apples? Or is it D, I've got an iPhone, a Mac, an iPad, how do you like them apples? <laughs> Well, uh, C worked for me last time, so I'm going to try it this time. I got her number. How do you like them apples? Uh, that's yes! two for two. Yes. That's two for you. could go three for three. I don't think this has happened since our second episode of three for three. I don't want to put the pressure on. but uh, Maybe somebody will get my voice on their answering machine. Is that the prize? <laughs> Maybe. That would be good. Uh, okay. I'm, this is blue movies. Um, I'm going to give you a movie 
and uh, you give me the actor that starred in that blue movie. All right, we'll do three of these. Uh, number one, The Blue Lagoon. Oh, uh, uh, Brooke Shields. Yeah. All right, number two, My Blue Heaven. Oh, Steve Martin? You got it. I think Rick Moranis, I would have taken Rick, Rick Moranis. Moranis. Mm -hmm. All right, and this third one, you get this one, you... You uh, have gone three for three successfully. Blue Hawaii. Elvis Presley? That is correct. Yes. You yes. have gone three for three. <laughs> that is good work, Tom. <laughs> those were great questions, Blair. You must have spent a lot of time oh, crafting those. Weeks and weeks. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, I want to thank you again. This is kind of a almost like a bucket list thing for me to have you on the show. I really appreciate you being here and, and uh, I love your philosophy and, and how you tie your background into your, into your current work and everything you do. And so thanks for taking the time with us today to, to share some of that with us. I appreciate it. Oh, Blair, it was my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me there into uh, Colorado. You bet. And to our listeners, I want to thank our listeners also. Uh, if you like the podcast, uh, please tell a friend or a colleague about streaming water um, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, you can send feedback or episode ideas to streamingwater at mail.com with any comments or suggestions. So with that, we'll uh, wrap up for today, and we'll see you next time on Streaming Water Podcast.